From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. As we gather together around God's Word, we are studying the book of Genesis. I'm calling it the backstory of the beginning because it's the backstory to the Exodus. And you need to understand Genesis to help you understand Exodus. We uh, have already started into the creation. We're into Genesis 1, and we looked at the days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. And then we spent yesterday talking a little bit about various creation models, uh, theories that people have about, theories that Christians have about creation. Uh, If you are a Christian and you believe that God exists, then uh, I think foundational to a part of that, and, and really that's this is all fa- foundational to many, many religions, is that God exists and that God created uh, everything that we have around us. The one thing that's a little bit unique about Christianity is that God created it, what we call ex nihilo, E-X-N-I-H-I-L-O, ex nihilo, basically which means out of nothing, God created everything. And that is unique to Judeo-Christian uh theology. And it really it really means that from nothing, that at some point in time, there was nothing. Uh, and then God spoke, or this creative force outside of the universe uh, spoke, and the universe was created. We got matter and mass. We got time. We got space. We got everything that we have in our universe today. And I just wanted to I wanted to spend just a few more minutes, or maybe even today, I don't know how much of today we'll spend on this, but I just wanted to talk to you about what that really means. I mean, if you think and if you stop and think about it, one of the things that that the Bible explains is that out of nothing, God created. So that's an explanation to where everything came from. It means there's a God. Uh, it means that he's a very powerful God. He can move mountains. He can create mountains. He can do all sorts of incredible things, including becoming flesh, dwelling among us, rising from the dead. I mean, that is all part of the story. Uh, but with in absence of a God, an external force, uh, just think about what that means. It means that the universe existed... Uh, The universe existed without any matter, without any time, without any space. It was nothingness going on forever. It was an infinite nothingness. There were no molecules or no particles. It's nothing. It's it's a complete nothingness. And then the question that a lot of evolutionists have to struggle with was, how did you get from nothing to what we have today? And they're coming up with lots and lots of theories uh, about how maybe in the nothingness, if there's truly nothingness, there's forces that we can't even understand that that created the universe. It's a it's it's a it's a creative force. But that's that's a hard one for me to believe and understand because nothingness really doesn't mean anything in the absence of matter, space, and time. Right? I'm. I, you put one particle of dust or one earth or one thing in the nothingness and now all of a sudden you have space, you have time, and you have a reference point for the rest of the universe, which expands out into infinity. If you have nothing, 
I don't even know if infinity makes sense anymore because it's basically nothing. It's, it's hard to explain nothing. There is no earth. There's no particles. There's no dust. There's no energy. There's no radiation. There's nothing. And it goes on forever, but forever doesn't really even mean anything because it's nothing. It's, it's a concept that doesn't, it's like a non-existence of anything. And how do you even wrap your head around that? That one, I think about sometimes when I'm out camping or out uh, just sitting in the back porch, looking out at the veil stars, contemplating life, thinking about how, how space goes on forever. But space goes on forever because, because we live in a point in space that exists. But if there is no existence of that point in space, then forever doesn't really even mean anything. And to get from that status to what we have now, if that's not the definition of a miracle, I don't know what is. If that's not the definition of a creative force outside of what we can believe or understand, I don't know what is. To me, that is probably, I don't know if it's the number one, but it isn't definitely in the top 10 things that is in my mind as to why I personally believe there is a God because it, there is no, in my opinion, and I've mentioned before, I'm kind of a scientific guy. I have no other explanation for how we got here except for some creative force outside of, uh, of our creation that would have bring, brought it into existence. Other than that, I don't really have any other explanation that makes sense in my head. And I haven't seen any others. Uh, I know people are working on it. Uh, I think it stumped everyone, but the fact that we exist almost almost leads to the to the belief that there has to be a God. The, the two go hand in hand, and I don't know how you can believe in one without the other. So that's that's where I come down on uh, my faith. Uh, that, that's where I come down on the whole science of this thing. I, I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. There has to be a creative force outside of the universe that created the universe. But that's not the only thing that uh, kind of I think about when I think about the creation story. Uh, so we last yesterday, we looked at uh, old earth creationism. We looked at young earth creationism and we looked at evolutionary creationism. Uh, and we talked about how each of these uh, models uh, that there are Christians that believe in each of these. Uh, there are the and and there are very, very good reasons why you would have people believe in each one of these. And uh, it is not fair or right to say it has to be one. God does not give us, other than a chapter in the book of Genesis and a few other things throughout the scripture, there is not a whole lot that God spends in creation except to say that it was done in seven days and this is kind of the order and how it all came to be. So God, I don't think, is hugely concerned about how each Christian views views the creation story. Uh, and I've told you I'm kind of a young earth creationist myself because I believe that if God can create, if he can raise somebody from the dead, he can certainly create in seven days. Um, that's what he said. And I, But I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it because I'm not sure it adds anything. Now, if you are an evolutionary biologist, you have to reject creation. You have to believe that the world is evolving uh, because that's how you study diseases and all that sort of thing. And we may get into that. But 
but we looked at three creation models, and that was yesterday. But today I want to spend some more time looking at other considerations about creation. Uh, and so the first creation, uh, the one is this. Where did it all come from? And as I just said, I don't think any scientist really has a good handle or a good theory. I don't even know if they have a workable theory on where it all came from. And I don't think it's wrong to try to figure out, is it possible to, to come from nothing into something, but it's completely untestable. I mean, it, it, is, it is only going to be a theory for till the end of time because there's no way that we can test it. There's no way we can see uh, how, how that theory plays out. So I believe that uh, both theories, the theory that God created everything or the theory that out of nothing, some force of nature created everything, both of those take an incredible amount of faith. And there's no question about it. But both of them, I mean, it has to be one or the other. And there is no third option, right? It, it is what it is. And um, so at some, at some deep level in our creation, in our existence, we don't know kind of where, you know, the faith has to be at the foundation of everything. Faith has to be at the foundation of everything. We have to have faith in something. Uh, we should have faith in something. So where did it all come from? Uh, we, we spent some time on that this morning. So the second thing uh, that I want to talk to you about is this, enough time. So uh, if you are a... Um, an evolutionary biologist, or I even suppose a creational, uh, a, an evolutionary creationist, right? One of the questions that, that, well, let me lay out the theory for it, for you. And the theory is basically that uh, some time ago, billions of years ago, the earth, uh, the universe came into existence through a thing called the Big Bang. We don't know how it came in existence. We don't know where matter, energy, space, time. We don't know all that came from. And they're working on that. But somehow it all came into existence. And then it started to gathering together particles because of the laws of physics, which says that matter attracts matter. And so larger pieces of matter attract matter. And pretty soon you get the whole universe attracting itself into these little globs called planets, stars, solar systems, and things like that. So all of that starts gathering together. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. And then somewhere in this universe, you have this little Earth, this little planet called Earth, and it gathers together the sky and the water and this atmosphere, and it's carbon-based. Uh, and then in that, somehow, life starts. And now again... Scientists have never been able to replicate how life starts. They can take all the building blocks of life and they can put them in a test tube. They can add electricity. They can do all sorts of things. They've never been able to create life yet. And then that life continues to grow and evolve and evolve and grow. And it fills the planet with plants. It fills the planet with animals. And it fills the planet with humans. And all of that happened over time. And the way that it happened over time is, according to Darwin, this, this theory that he calls, um, oh, <laughs> he calls it survival of the fittest, right? Um, 
basically that there is a genetic mutation that happens in a cell, in an animal, or whatever. And that genetic mutation occurs, and it's a good genetic mutation. And so it helps that species survive better than another species. Uh, and so it moves on. And, and basically, then, if you believe that, then we are kind of like right now at a point of evolution, but it will be it will move beyond humanity, that humanity will will get better and better as we go on. So uh, we, we have recorded humanity of what, 4,000, 6,000 years. And, and so people would say, well, 6,000 years ago, humans look a whole lot different than they look now. And so therefore they evolved. But a creationist would say that they didn't evolve, that different genes that are already existing in the human uh, took over because at different times we've needed a different set of genes in order to become healthier and stronger and that sort of thing. Uh, so I don't want to get too much into that, but basically that this whole thing uh, happened over a long period of time. Now here's one of the problems that evolutionists have, and that is it takes a long, long time. If you run the math and do the probabilities and the statistics, it takes an incredible amount of time, first of all, to get a gene mutation and then to have that gene mutation be good and then to have the ability that that gene mutation can move through creation or move through the system uh, to, to overtake it. And so what, they, what they're believing now, what uh, evo evolutionary people, evolutionists, evolutionary biologists would say is that those uh, genetic mutations happened in spurts. Like you might go from here, instead of having minor mutations that take thousands or hundreds of thousands or even makes a million years, that it moves from here to here in one step. Uh, because that's the only way that it works. Because if you do the math, the universe has to be billions and billions and billions and billions of years older than what even the oldest estimate of the universe is. And it, the math simply doesn't work out. It doesn't work out at all. Uh, and so the only way that they can compensate that is to come up with this bursting theory of evolution. And they, if you are evolutionist, then you, the, these, are the, these are the mental exercises you go through because you don't believe in a God. You don't believe in an outside force that has creativity, that has design capabilities, that's able to do uh, do all of this in one or one or seven steps, right? You have to do it in all sorts of little steps. And it just, for me, I've looked at the math uh, from various different people, and I just don't think the math works out. Not, and I'm, a, like I said, I'm a scientist. So uh, that's the other thing. And then uh, the other third point is cellular bi biology and the complexity of creation. Um, I watched, there's a great thing on the internet called TED. It's, uh, I don't even know what it's teaching, education, design, or something like that. But it's, it's um, they call them TED Talks. And I watch TED Talks periodically because I love to fill my mind with useless information. Uh, and these are people who are supposed to be the experts in their field, and they give a 20-minute talk about their field. And one of them was from an evolutionary biologist, and not a Christian. But he gave a TED Talk, and he talked about how he went back and looked at Darwin, and Darwin 
basically developed his theory of evolution by looking at species. So he looked at, he went to the Galapagos Island, he saw all these different species, and he put them together in a chart of how evolution could have happened, probably from this species to this species to this species ending in man. Uh, and the reason why that made sense is because all of his knowledge at that point, 150 years ago, was just looking at species. And how do you get from species A to species B? Well, you add a beak, uh, you add you add a couple horns, you know, you add fingers, and then you get it right. And and that's basically what he did. And and the theory works great if you're looking at species, but if you start looking deeper into this universe, you start to run into problems. For example, just take a look at the cell. If you look at the complexity of the cell, there's an outer lining, there's an inner lining, there's mitochondria, there's proteins, there's a nucleus, and just the complexity of the cell itself, he said, this is a non-Christian biologist, he says the complexity of the cell is so incredibly complex that, that evolutionary biology simply can't explain it because there's no, it is, we have to come up with a better theory. If Darwin knew he said, the complexity of the cell and how incredibly complex it is, he could have never come up with the idea of survival of the fittest because every single piece of that cell has to be in existence for that cell to operate. And it is more complex than you can possibly imagine. And the more they delve into it, the more complex it gets. You know, Instead of simplifying the understanding of the cell, it gets more and more and more and more complex. And all of that, if it's survival of the fittest, the, the complexity can't be understood or be explained by simply survival of the fittest. And so his call out to people is to let's come up with a better theory because the one that we're teaching and we're using to explain the world around us just simply isn't, isn't, isn't strong enough to even understand the complexity of the cell. Now, creationists have basically been saying the same thing for a number of years. They've said that if you just look at uh, uh, any creature, it, it can't exist just with you know one part. It has to have all those parts working together. And basically all those parts need to come into existence at one time because you can't have one part without the other part. It's just too complex. And so it's this whole complexity thing that really has a lot of people stumped. And the more complex something is, the, the theory of evolution starts to run into problems because complexity requires, under survival of the fittest, complexity requires a lot of time and there's simply not enough time or complexity requires a different theory than survival of the fittest and they haven't developed one yet. So I feel pretty comfortable in my creation uh, thing. It's worked well for me. I, I love the idea of creation. I, I love... Uh, we'll get into that, but I love uh, I love creation because because it uh, it explains a lot of things that I that uh, I just can't wrap my head around it unless I believe in a god. Okay, so that was uh, that's the cellular biology and the complexity of creation, um, the complexity of the human body. Just look at how wonderfully made the human body is. The the couple things that I just 
always point out about the human body is that first of all, it looks symmetrical. And there's a beauty about symmetricity, symmetry. There's a beauty about symmetry in the human body. But if you open it up and look, the heart's on one side, the liver's on one side, the spleen, you know, it's not a symmetrical body. It's just like it's been designed um, with little things into it, but it's the outer shell that's symmetrical. Uh, And, you know, even the nervous system and all that is not necessarily symmetrical. Uh, And so it is really a, an incredible design. And uh, I love to think that the human body is actually designed, that it that it's a perfect design, right? And maybe not, not perfect in the sense that we never die or that we can't get diseased or sick, but that the, the, per, the human body is a beautiful, like pinnacle of perfection design, right? Uh, if you had to do a design contest to try to come up with the human body, that it's a pretty good design, if you ask me. Uh, and just the, the whole idea about uh, every aspect of the human body, not only that it's symmetrical, but we have all these different parts that are in it that aren't symmetrical, but the whole idea that your whole entire life is consumed in your brain, that, that from the time you were born up until the time of now, all those existences exist in your brain. How is that stored? One of the theories now is that as you sleep, your body goes through and purges some memories because they, they overlap with other memories. And instead of, you know, having uh, 80 different memories that you did the same thing 80 times, it overlaps them onto one memory that you have. And then it says you did this memory 80 times. I mean, it does basically uh, what a computer, if it wants to go through and try to, you know, get rid of data it doesn't need anymore. The human mind does that as you sleep and be, is able to create in your mind 80, 100, you know, years of memories in your mind. Just think about it. You can remember stuff from when you were a kid. Uh, You can remember stuff from high school. You can remember your first date, your first kiss. You know, all of these things you can remember, and it's all stored in a limited amount of space that even today's supercomputers can't even get close to understanding this. I mean, just the complexity of the human body is absolutely amazing. Uh, Also, um, this idea of the survival of the fittest. We've talked about this a little bit because that's Darwin's theory, right? Is that there's a genetic mutation uh, and then that mutation works better. And so that one wins out over all the other non-mutated species and that species goes on and the others don't. And um, there, there is a, there's a downside to this. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but a couple downsides. First of all, that... If truly creation is survival of the fittest, then what that means is that if you are stronger and bigger, it's kind of your genetic evolutionary responsibility to wipe out everything that's not as strong and fit as you are, to provide room for evolution to continue on, right? So... If by chance, theoretically, if I were to have been born with a certain genetic mutation that made me be able to fly, then uh, then I should, because that's going to give me an advantage over all of you that can't fly, I should overtake the species. And this is the whole idea behind X-Men, right? The this, this series on uh, movies called X-Men where you have certain species that get more superpowers than the regular species. And of course, 
and if it's survival of the fittest, then it's their responsibility to take over. It's their responsibility to have, uh, to allow evolution to continue on so that we can continue to evolve. It's natural. And if you go out into the world and you look at, you know, look at nature, what happens in nature? You have the lion eating the gazelle. That's a very vicious, horrible, uh, you know, you watch it. Sometimes you have to turn away because you can't just see this gazelle having its, you know, insides taken out. Um, but that's basically life around us. And if life around us is like that, then that is the model for life itself, including humans. We should be more aggressive. Uh, we, should, we should take life as we can. Uh, we should, we should, the strongest should basically be taking a place in stand, uh, a place in the sand and saying, I'm the strongest, so I'm going to conquer you. And that is totally against the Christian religion, which is, um, which is peace and grace and love and that God created us as a static species and how we interact with all the other species is dictated by God and scripture, scripture. Um, there have been some that have said that the experiments that the Nazis did, uh, you know, during World War II was allowed for by the theory of evolution because, because mankind is supposed to do the experiments that man is, that man did back then because, and evolutionary theory it helps understand why we're allowed to do those things, those horrible things. Well, it's part of the experiment of, of how we're supposed to grow as a species beyond, right? It's the survival of the fittest. So let's create a superhuman and let them move on and they'll take over and get rid of all the unsuperhumans. I mean, it's all kind of the same narrative and it's a very dangerous narrative and it is completely against the Christian narrative. And the Christian narrative is that we are created as the pinnacle of creation. We're not moving beyond this, and we are learning how to live in our creation, and that's what we're supposed to do, but that God is not allowing us to move beyond that. We are a fixed species in time, and I like that too. I like the fact that we are a fixed species in time. So the question always comes around, but what about some of the the, the evolution that we see in the world around us? And it's it's the difference between microevolution and macroevolution. Uh, evolution within species can happen if a species needs to modify. For example, the perfect example is this moth that lives in England, and it's a white moth. But at some point, they um, the the there was black dust all over in England, and so the white moth would stick out in the dust, and so the, all the white moths got eaten, but the black moths didn't. And so it's kind of like a selective breeding, if you will. So the black moths started breeding, uh, and now everything in England is black moths. But if you look at the genetic material, it's still a moth. It can still reproduce as a moth. It is a fixed species in time. Uh, I'm, I'm going way over, you know, in, mic in micro details about evolution. I apologize for that. I just want to let you know that the, the, no theory of evolution has all the answers. And survival of the fittest is a very, very dangerous um, theory because it basically allows, it gives an allowance for mankind uh, to try to move beyond what we are and to say that we're not perfect and we're not beautiful. And that, that leads me actually to the last point I want to say about creation is that God created it. And what did he say? He said, it's good. It's good. And then he created man. He said, man's very good. 
You see, if you believe in God like I do, then there is such a thing as objective beauty. And that objective beauty is the world around us, the mountains, the stars, the butterflies, the birds, the animals, uh, and that the human body is a beautiful creation. It is the most beautiful of creations, that God created this incredible, beautiful human body and and that everything that God created is beautiful and that there's an objective I believe there's an objective standard for beauty and it is what God has created and that there is such a thing of beauty and uh, that the world is beautiful and life is beautiful and because of God I'm able to see the glasses half empty you know half full I'm able to be an optimist in the world around me because I believe that God creates me loves me cares for me uh, created the world beautiful and and it's for our enjoyment and and God is a part of that and if you don't believe in God you can start going down some really dark holes about why we're here and what we should be doing to try to make some sort of beauty out of the world around us and um, yeah, I think it's a dangerous path to go to go down now not every every evolution not every evolutionist goes down dark paths don't get me wrong there but it allows for some people to go down some very dark paths. Uh, but I and you have a light path. And the light path is that God created everything. Uh, now we can argue as to what is a literal seven days or a figurative seven days. But the main thing that fills me with joy is to know that there's a God who loves me that was powerful enough to create the universe and is powerful enough to raise me from the dead on the last day and and bring me into his new creation. And that's uh, that's all part of the Christian narrative. And it all starts here in Genesis. It all was all created good. So um, that is only the first chapter of Genesis. Actually, it, it bleeds a little bit into chapter two. But uh, there's another creation story. And the other creation story is in chap is Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter 2, we focus a little bit less on the days of creation and more on the pinnacle of God's creation, which is, of course, man. And so we will get into that tomorrow. Um, won't spend as much time. Uh, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time on this whole idea about where I come down on the whole evolution creation story because I'm definitely a creationist. I definitely believe God exists. And I definitely, even as a scientist, although I'm probably biased, believe it's just as good an explanation about the world around us as anything else. And uh, it's the one I cling to. It's the one that's it's one of the foundations of my faith. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited and passionate about it. But tomorrow we're going to talk about a different part of creation. And then we start moving into the narrative of Genesis. And, but I couldn't, I couldn't just spend some time about Genesis 1 uh, over four days unless I talk to you a little bit about creation itself. Uh, so I hope this has been helpful for you, uh, but tomorrow we're actually going to move on. So if you wouldn't mind, let's close and pray. Uh, dear God, thank you for creation. Uh, thank you for the beauty of your creation. Thank you for your love and your life that overwhelms us. Fill us this day with joy. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.